Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Family Sunday. And uh, I'm going to do my best to go on and on today so someone might write a cool song. That was my takeaway um, from Ben's story. Anyways, though, um, thank you, Ben, for leading us in worship and honestly sharing that. that, um, Yeah. It is so good to know that the history of these songs that we sing, that they, they came from a place where the Holy Spirit inspired people in, in different ways. And so I loved hearing that story today, and um, my joke did not land. So anyways, um, it's good to be with you this morning. And before I get into the message, I want to see if we have um, kids here today. So if you're in, in kindergarten or first grade around there, raise your hand up really high. Kindergarten or first grade? All right. If you're in second grade or third grade, fourth grade or fifth grade... Now it starts to get like, I don't want to acknowledge if I'm, any, if I'm any older than that. I ain't doing it, dude. So anyways, welcome. Welcome to our kids, to our junior hires. Um, if you, I know you do recall, and we've kept this banner up because this Jubilee season that we're in is just awesome to, to know the faithfulness of God. For those of you that are visiting with us, the, the reason that we have this Jubilee sign up is because the Lord has been providing for us in miraculous ways. And um, I won't share the whole story, but I've been encouraged by someone who was speaking into my life that like share that story as much as possible because it is a story of God's provision. And the short version of the story goes like this, that we were involved in a big project to re- renovate this whole place. And we were doing well, paying off a loan, and we had $2.3 million that was left to pay off. And that's a lot of money. How many of you know $2.3 million is a lot of money? It's just like zeros at the end of the day, right? So uh, as this loan begins to really increase in its uh, interest rate to the point that is painful and difficult, God in his mercy sends to us a check through a faithful person who loved to give without them knowing what we were going through for what? $2.3 million. Just like that, right? God is amazing. So he did this. And you can't make that stuff up. And as I was saying, I I was sharing this with another pastor who I, I met recently, just a wonderful man of God. And he goes, tell those stories. And then he went on. He'd been a pastor for 40 years and is continuing to minister. He said, let me tell you this story. Let me tell you that story. Let me tell And story after story of God just showing up like that. And God gets all the glory. And that's why we love to tell that story for for us to be able to glorify and honor God, but also to encourage you that whatever your impossible circumstance is, God is faithful, and he tends to just show up all by himself, right? He just shows up, and I like to say that God likes to show up and show off, right? He just show his glory, and he's done that for us. And so um, just a, this is why we keep this stuff up, because we're not done celebrating. When, some, when God does something so lavish, you just got to lavishly respond. So may this never get old to you. Um, may that miracle never be old to you. May it be something that we share for generations of a moment where God showed up and showed off. And then I think just like that pastor who had a bunch of them to share, I think we got more coming of stories of God's faithfulness because when he calls us to something, he also provides. And so God is good. The reason I, I share all that before I share my message is because you remember the theme of our Jubilee was to bring your best, right? And you guys did that. You brought your best in many different categories. And uh, one young man whose name Matt, he's a filmmaker, and he brought his best by capturing some of the video. Now, I have to tell you, this is not the full 
full version, and Matt's not here today, and we're, we're kind of letting you in early, but I thought with us being Family Sunday, I got to show this to you. He showed us the rough draft, and it was really, really good. So I'm showing you the rough draft, but next week when Matt's here, pretend like you never saw this, because we're going to show you the full version too. So um, can we play that video? Remember what I told you about next week when you see the full version. Hey, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 130. Um, If you have been with us, we've been in a series. This is our 11th Psalm in a series of 15 Psalms called the Psalms of Ascents. That's kind of easy to say. The Psalms of Ascents with an S at the end. And these psalms are, are songs, a collection of songs, like we, when we were introducing this series, we said it's, it's much like a playlist, right, of, of music or songs that you would sing on a road trip. And their road trip was one from wherever they were ascending up to Jerusalem to worship. They would ascend in that, making that journey was always upward because it was the place of worship. And they were heading to the temple in Jerusalem to be able to celebrate one of three feasts. And in those feasts, they would honor God. They would follow the agricultural calendar. It had to do with harvests and things of that nature. But but more importantly, it had to do with gathering together as the people of God, remembering who their God was and is, and also receiving forgiveness for their sin through atonement, through sacrifice that would occur in those times. So as they were preparing to go, it was almost like a reset uh, as they were making that journey. It would be about every three months or so. And so you can imagine um, going through day-to-day life how we need to make those resets. That's why 
these gatherings are so important that we have every week, that we, we align our ways with God's ways. Because how many of you know, the minute you walk out of these doors, there's a bunch of different paths that everyone wants to tell you to walk on. The one to get rich really quick, to get healthy really quick, to stay young forever, to look beautiful, to be muscular, whatever it might be. It's just going in all different directions. But the people of God have always been called to this really narrow and straight path. And so starting from the Old Testament on into the New Testament. So this is where we find ourselves. And if you were with us last week, we talked about um, this Psalm 129 that, that really was heavy. I mean, raise your hand if you were like, you're like, that was heavy, right? It was heavy. It was heavy because it dealt with affliction. And affliction comes our way. I think every single one of us has a story of affliction. And we said, like I said last week, it's like, how do you rate an affliction? You know, that, that the thing that's afflicting you might seem small to somebody else, but it's your affliction. And the beauty of that psalm was that, that the Bible gave space for that to, to validate the affliction. So you don't have to like, pretend it's not happening. But then it also gave you a place to surrender it to God and to see that God cuts the, the, the chains of wickedness and God is righteous and he does something with our pain. So that was, that was last week. So you can imagine this week when I'm, and, and I know these psalms, I've read them before, but you know, each Monday you come back to the psalm and you're like, okay, God, what do you have for this week? And this psalm begins with, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And I was saying, Lord, I was really hoping for joy, 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 joy unspeakable. It is family Sunday after all, right? And so, but I want to tell you this. As you stick with it, as you stick with God's word, and it is a temptation, I think, as we're reading God's word to like try to find the good stuff. Are you with me? Or sometimes you're reading and you're like, or maybe sometimes I'm preaching and you're like, but, but, but you're like, okay, get to a funny story or get to something that I can just take and put in my pocket and apply really quickly. Um, that's the culture you've been raised in. They've trained you how to do that really, really good. But the people of God are ones who sit at the feet of God. And there's a word in this psalm. It's a key word that, you, that you'll, you'll come to in just a moment. It's called wait. Right? It's just as I said that, I think about the cross light um, right at Chapman, um, right at Palm and Chapman. You push it, it goes, Wait. Wait, 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 right? And then it's like, what is it? Crossing on all sides now or something like that. But and I think like that wait, wait, like as you're waiting, they're like, okay, dude, I got it, right? Like, I got it. I need to wait. And for me, I'm not a rule follower, so I'm like, I'm going. Like as soon as it says wait, I'm like, I'm going. No one's looking. But, but the, the, the reason that it repeats wait, wait, wait is because we by nature do not like to what? Wait. No. And so sometimes we need to spend time in these psalms instead of skipping over to find something awesome that we can proclaim real quick. We need to sit in it and understand what God is saying. And as you do, you're going to find something remarkable about this psalm. That as you understand what the psalmist is saying, that out of these depths you cry unto the Lord, you, you resolve and you end with some pretty awesome hope. And I'll give you my punchline right here in the beginning. Probably the most hopeful thing, one of the most hopeful words, I think, in the, in the human vocabulary, pick your language, is the word forgiveness. Forgiveness. Without that word in a vocabulary, what have you got? You got in the depths, staying in the depths, living in the depths. And so this psalm reminds us and it points us the way to forgiveness. And so I'd like to read it to you and then I'd like to make some observations and it really fits well with today's opportunity that we have to receive communion together as a church family. And so I want to leave plenty of time to do that in the end. Um, here's what the psalm says. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. 
and let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Now, now hear this. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, and keep that word in your mind, iniquities. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. Wait, wait, wait. Anyways, my soul waits for the Lord. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him, plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Amen? The first question as I, I came to this psalm, um, as I really looked it over, the first question that I asked myself is, why is the psalmist in the depths, right? Out of the depths I cry. Why is he in the depths? Last week, the, the psalmist was in a place of affliction. That was what somebody had done to his nation, his people, and himself. What's interesting about this week is the psalmist is in the depths for an entirely different reason. He's in the depths because of his own choices. He's in the depths because of his iniquities. And, um, and so the, the observation that you find there is that when you find yourself in the depths, that's not the place to be quiet. But you find that, that here, as the, the, the psalmist realizes his iniquities, it's just a, an, another word for sin, right? And we're going to tackle this a little bit because I think sin is kind of a, there's an attempt to remove it from modern vocabulary as like some archaic word, you know, and to like make sin almost like a, like to, to make it a, a mockery kind of word, like, you know, like religious hoity-toity people say the word sin, you know, but to really understand what, what sin is, because the Bible goes to great lengths to help us to understand sin. But iniquity is, uh, is one of the interchangeable terms for the word sin. And so that's why he finds himself there. And in that place, um, the, the Bible tells us that each and every one of us can identify with this psalmist because Romans says what all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so this is relevant to each and every one of us. So when you sin, you find yourself in this place of depths of depth if your conscience is not seared. You find yourself there in a, in a lowly place, um, and it's a place where you thank God that in that place of depth is where you can find hope and forgiveness. Without it, you wouldn't go looking for it. And so, um, if you look at, at this first verse, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord, hear my voice, and my pleas, or let your ears be attentive to my voice and my pleas for mercy. Um, we read this psalm through the lenses of the New Testament. You know, the Old Testament, um, without grace, the grace that we know through Jesus in this new covenant, there was, you know, again, they were, they were prepping, preparing on this journey to go to a place where they were going to make atonement through animal sacrifice for their sin. And so it's this plea, God, receive this sacrifice, make me whole, make me clean. Again, I, I, I want to just say it, that when you are in that place, it's not a place to, um, to be isolated. It's not a place to be quiet. It's a place to speak. And so if you find yourself in the depths because of sin that you've chosen, 
The greatest thing the enemy wants you to do is to just shut up and be quiet about it. To create an environment around you where you can cover up whatever you've done because it just continues to eat away at you. And and so as you do that, you isolate yourself. And, And what happens to a person that's isolated? A person that's isolated is easy prey for attack. In fact, um, jumping ahead in my message, but one of the images that you get of sin and early on in Genesis, um, when Cain and Abel were having their issues where Cain found himself just murderously jealous over his brother because the sacrifice was received of the Lord. What is the the message to Cain? It says that, that sin, this is in Genesis chapter 4, sin is crouching at your door and it wants to master you or devour you. The imagery, if you look into the language of Scripture, is like a wild beast that's just sitting there ready to pounce, right? And so it's saying sin is like that. How many of you can agree and go, oh yeah, you should hear my story. Sin is like that. It's not passive, it's aggressive, it's coming after you. And as it is, it's coming out of after you. It says it desires to master you or take you over, but then the, the encouragement is what? But you must master it. And so greater is he who's in you than he that's in the world. This is a reality that you have with Jesus, the power to overcome these temptations and this, this uh, life of bondage to sin. But it won't occur in isolation. It won't occur quietly with just you quietly trying to fix it, cover it, deal with it, uh, medicate it, um, self-help it, whatever else. It has to get out in the light. It has to be cried out. You know, um, many, many years ago, I, I, I enjoy meeting all the you know, pastors in our city. And, and we have prayer groups and stuff like that. I've shared that many times. And, and through some involvement with um, the police department, I've been able to meet some of the Catholic priests in our city. And, you know, put all your preconceived ideas on the shelf for just a moment as I tell this story. But, but one of the, the priests in our city said, hey, why don't you come over? And, um, and, and he, it was like, I know I've shared this stuff before, but it was like he was really curious. Like, what do you guys do over there, you know? And, and, and he goes, I want to come to your place and you come to my place. Because there's so many of the, uh, the essentials that we agree on and some of the non-essentials we should show charity towards, Right. And so I like those places of agreement. You find quickly when you meet people of different faith traditions that if they love Jesus and they, they, um, they read the Bible... It's like you have some common ground. And this is what I found in this priest. And so he, he comes and he goes, you mean to tell me you pick whatever you want to say every week? And I was like, well, well kind of. But I mean, we do seek the, the Lord. Like we want, you know, the, the Holy Spirit to show us. And he goes, because, you know, their, their, their calendar and preaching calendar is much different. So anyways, all this to say, uh, I go over there and he, he was like kind of giddy about it. He's like, hey, go up there and stand where I stand. You know, so I go, okay. And he goes, look, look what I see, you know. And, and I did, and we talked, and he told me the significance of the baptismal font, different things that were around in some of their traditions and whatever else. And then we're leaving, and we walk past the confessional booth. And he kind of gets this, like, you know, like, silly look, and he goes, you want to sit where I sit, and I sit where others sit? And I was like, can we do that? He's like, come on. And so he goes, this is where I sit, and this is where they sit. And I'm like, I go, this one's hard for me to understand. And he goes, beyond all of the stuff you think about it, think of this one simple truth. That when people confess their sins, sometimes they need to hear these words, you are forgiven. And that always stuck with me. 
Again, you got to put a lot of other stuff that's going on in your mind around on the shelf somewhere. But in my story and the significance of that moment with, with that priest that I talked to, I, I thought, you know what? That is so true. Now, do I think that you need to confess every single one of your sins to me? No, I don't want you to do that, okay? Um, likewise, I serve with the police department. I'm a mandated reporter, so keep that in mind. But, but, but no, no, I'm just kidding. Those are bad jokes. Sorry. But, but the, 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 the truth of the matter is you have a great high priest that you can go directly to. 100%. A great high priest that you can go directly to. You also have clear passages in Scripture that tell you the power of confessing your sin to who? One another. There's something to when there's an offense that you've, you've been a part of or there's something that in isolation you can't get rid of. You've confessed it to God. You've asked Him for forgiveness and there's still this depth that you're living in. I, I, I want to encourage you that that's the time to choose the friend who you know loves Jesus. I'm not just saying pick the first person that walks through the door. Call your pastor. Call your friend. Call a person and say, hey, i got to get something off my chest. I need to confess this. I've confessed it to the Lord, but I, I need to confess something. And I have friends like that. And I, I've been a part of that. And I've, been, I've also been on the giving end of that, of like, i got to get this off my chest. And i got to tell you what that priest said is very true. To hear the words, hey, you're forgiven. It's not the forgiveness that comes by me saying the words. It's proclaiming the forgiveness that's already been done because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And so as we look at sin and as we look at this lightweight topic on a family Sunday, um, we, we, look at it through, <laughs> we look at it through the lenses of knowing that in Christ we are forgiven. But there's a great deception that's over your life. It's a great deception in our culture. If you can remove sin, you can also remove forgiveness. And so in isolation, if we can explain it away, if we can minimize our sin, or if we can normalize our sin, this is one of the things we do, isn't it? Like if we know we've sinned, we feel it in our gut, we're out of the depths, we're not crying, we're just sitting in the depths. Our human nature is to go, yeah, but at least I didn't do this. And everybody's doing that. It's kind of like... Um, a mentality that we've taken with us throughout childhood of justifying like dumb things that we do, lying about them or making it smaller than it is. The encouragement from, from Scripture is that if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so we let the Holy Spirit show us what needs to be confessed, not um, society and the world around us. And so when he says that, um, Lord, hear my prayer and let your ears be attentive to my pleas for mercy, then in verse 3, he said, says this, and kind of like uh, thinking it through, he's saying, Lord, if you should mark my iniquities, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. There's a holy awe of God that he can forgive sin. But the psalmist says, if someone was writing all this stuff down, man, I wouldn't even be able to stand. It caused me to look at, at what iniquities are. I never really looked at it before. I, I knew that there, when I'm reading scripture, that there's the word sin, there's the word transgression, and then there's the word iniquity, right? And, and I'm familiar with those words, and in different times in the Old Testament especially, they're used interchangeably and so forth. But I, I did a little bit of a deep dive in first one, and I think you know this, it might be review for some of you, but the word sin in and of itself comes from a, an idea of a, of a marksman, Right? A marksman who hits the mark. Um, look at this interesting verse really quickly in Judges chapter 20, verses 15 and 16. The Hebrew word is kata. Kata. And, and it's like, um, it's, this word is, is, 
given as an example in this passage. And, and let me just read it. Because what you find is this awkward part, point in history where there's infighting in the nation of Israel. And, and the tribe of Benjamin is gathering some others to fight Judah. And here's what it says. It says, And the people of Benjamin mustered out of their cities on that day 26,000 men who could draw a sword besides the inhabitants of Gibba, who mustered 700 chosen men. Among these 700 chosen men were left-handed and who could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. All the left-handers are like, yep, straight up. <laughs> but, 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 but that's the idea, is that this word kata is just like hitting the mark. You know, you think this little hair hits it, 700 guys. I don't know who you would want on your team, you know, the hundreds of thousands of the others or the 700 snipers with a, with a slingshot, but that's another story for another time. When we miss the mark is when we sin. We miss the, the very thing that we've, we've set out to do in pleasing God. Um, I already shared with you Genesis chapter 4 where, where Cain misses the mark. He's given the goal. He's given the opportunity to overcome sin, but he chooses jealousy, and, and on, on top of jealousy, chooses murder, which leads him to an entrapment of sin completely. Um, and so this, this idea of sin and, and the mark, um, we know that the mark is easy for us to understand. It's just hard for us to do. Okay? What God has called you and I to do is not hard to understand, to conceptualize. If you read, for example, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments give you five ways to respond to God. And in doing so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm walking upright. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the mark. It gives you another five ways of how I respond to my brothers and sisters, the, the people in the world. And if I do these things, if I don't lie, cheat, steal, murder, stuff like that, right? Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah? If I, don't, if I don't do those things, then I'm hitting the mark. If I begin to do those things, I'm missing the mark. I'm sinning. And so we know that this is a, a very straight path that we walk on. But where it gets confusing for the world that we live in is when it's like, yeah, but what if so-and-so does such and such? That one's okay, right? And you begin to have these little splinter paths that you walk on. And that's where some of these other words help us to understand it. The first word is transgression. I mentioned it to you. And the, the, the Hebrew word for transgression is pasha. And pasha! No, I'm just kidding. No, sorry. Um, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but... But transgression um, is a violation of trust or it's a betrayal. Like, so even within another layer of understanding what sin is, how, and probably every single one of us in the room could raise our hand at a painful moment where we experience the breaking of trust or betrayal, right? I, I feel like that's one of the worst of the worst. You know, when you are betrayed, whether confidence or somebody um, lies to you and that trust is broken or, or does something outside of the covenant of marriage, whatever it might be, these are deeply painful things. And while we all have that experience, probably what's a little more difficult to come to grips with, if I asked another question and said, how many of you, you have broken somebody's trust or betrayed somebody? That's where it takes on a little bit different of a tone. And so we understand, oh, that Romans passage is true. We have all sinned, fallen short of God's glory. But the word from the psalm is avon in, in the Hebrew language, iniquity. And this is interesting to me. It says, Lord, if you were to mark my iniquities, keep a record of my iniquities, who could stand? The word literally means to distort the truth, right? To distort the truth or distort what is good for selfish gain. 
Think about that for a moment in, in, in context of the world that you live in. To distort something. Isn't that just like the enemy to just do a contamination, right? You know, just to, just to distort the truth about many different things. I'm fully aware that it's Family Sunday, so I'm using a lot of self-control. But you can imagine the different categories of life where something is good until it becomes distorted and then becomes a, an iniquity. Because for selfish gain, you take instead of following the principles of God and, and doing what he's called you to do and walking and living in that freedom. Is this making any sense? I had to, um, yeah, as I was studying this, I, I was just like super aware of how culture is normalizing and minimizing sin. And I was sharing this with our, our men's prayer group on Friday morning. And um, I, I feel like, now more than ever in my life, there are things that would be clearly sinful that are, are absolutely celebrated. Now, this is nothing new, okay? This is nothing new. And, but, but what is, feels new about it is almost things that are overtly demonic, overtly like, oh, that was off, that was off limits before, are now like celebrated. Yeah. And it's not just that, it's not just like it's celebrated, you know, with like, certain agendas and things that we see going on in the world. I'm saying, like, in the most basic, like, you don't even catch it. Okay, I'm going to give you an example. Coming off the, the 55 freeway, I drive, driving down 17th Street, I happen to look up at a large Carl's Jr. banner. Okay, banner, is that even a billboard? The large Carl's Jr. billboard is for the Diablo burger, right? The Diablo burger. It's this big, peppery, hot burger, right? And I'm like, that's interesting. And then I look, and it costs $6.66, right? I'm like, 600, it's a really good burger, no. (laughs) It costs $6.66, right? Okay? I'm like, somebody made a conscious decision to choose something that is identified with something clearly overtly evil and make a joke out of it, right? And so the takeaway, should, the takeaway that they hope for is this, that us pious Christians would go, oh, you know, like, oh, no. The hope that they would, is that they could, like, minimize and, and make it a satire, make it something funny. And when you do that, when you normalize something, it's like, well, it's not real anymore, right? The demonic things are, does it, am I even making sense? I, I have several other examples, but I just don't want to give them today in this moment. But I see it as a trend in culture and society to take something that was once like, ooh, you don't, you don't touch that stuff, to now go, let me shove it in your face as big as possible. Let me take a ginormous marketing risk. Let's take this big risk and watch it pay off so that you can start chats on the internet or wherever else, and you can start these banters, and you can just make Christians look stupid and moralistic and everybody else, oh, get over yourself. Just pay them $6.66 and eat the burger or just move on. Okay, it's a subtle thing that wants to get this one goal, has this one goal in mind, to remove sin. If you remove sin, if you remove evil, if you remove the clear thinking that we once could have of saying, this is right and this is wrong. If you, if you just distort it, just distort it. Just turn it into something else. Turn it into a satire. Turn it into humor. Turn it into a marketing billboard. Normalize. Minimize. Then no longer will you seek the Lord from the depths because you don't need to be in the depths anymore because you are free to be you. Because the grand adventure for you in your life and the great goal is just be happy. Be happy. That's your litmus test. As long as you're happy, you can do it. 
I, again, I'm just telling you what I see. And what I see is far different than the story of the Bible. And the story of the Bible is so important because it's the story of the straight path that leads to freedom. The other path is a false narrative that leads you to what they're saying will be happiness. But in the end, it leads you to a path of destruction. And that path of destruction is real. It's real in this moment and it's real in eternity. Uh, and so, so let's look at what, what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. It says, um, woe, and the woe is a very strong, the jumbo is warning that you could get in scripture. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. What, what the... The prophet Isaiah is describing is those who take a very straight path and turn it into a path of iniquity, right? In, in its truest definition, you take something that's clear and straightforward, good, and you turn it into a distortion, which makes now a crooked path that's difficult to understand. And I share all this realizing that I'm preaching to the choir, but not knowing every single person who sits here. But I say all this to say these truths need to be spoken over and over again, the true north of the Bible needs to be held deeply and dearly into your heart so that when you see certain things and when you experience certain things, you can keep them in the proper category so that you can walk in freedom in an increasingly perverse generation. And so I feel a responsibility as your pastor to share those things, but I also feel like this uh, holy, um, I don't know what the word would be, but this holy fire to just go, come on, like, look, look, look and see. But don't look through eyes of fear. Don't look through eyes of, of, um, of like what, what, what the scripture talks about of staying in the depths. Look through eyes of hope in your God. That as, as hours grow darker, the brightness and the light and the shining of who God is grows more apparent. And as it grows more apparent, you realize that you have victory in Christ. So don't fall prey to what you see happening around you. The, um, the, the next portion of the scripture as I, I like to call it, the most uh, hopeful word on the planet. It says, but in, in spite of all these things that you see with the result of sin, it says, but, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And then the psalmist goes into this portion of, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. In his word, I hope. That's my plea to you about no what you believe, know what the Word of God says. Keep it as a, 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 an ever-growing seed in your heart. That you just keep sowing those seeds of reading His Word and it, it is accessible to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not wasted time. It's not wasted time for you to sit through a sermon. It's not wasted time for you to read your Bible. It's not wasted time for you to pray. It's not. It's the most important thing that you can do. Because it leads you to, to freedom and it leads you to the purposes of God that he has designed for your life in this very moment. Do you realize you're alive today for a reason? It's not some cruel joke, you know. You're alive today for a reason. God saw it fit to place you on the planet in this moment. In the midst of cultural chaos, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of, you know, you pick the thing. God saw it fit for you. You're his choice and you're a part of his greatest plan. It's the church. And the church is not weak. The church is not weak and feeble. 
The church is incredibly resilient. The church is powerful because it is existing through the power of the Holy Spirit, created by God with a plan and a purpose. And the very gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. This is the people of God. This is not just because we created an organization here. This is the church that you are a part of. And so these things I share with you, you already know because you watch the news and you experience the world around you as well. But I share them from a position of victory, not from a position of defeat. It is very important that you realize that. It's very important that in your spiritual warfare, as you pray for those that you love, as you pray for institutions like schools, as you pray for government, as you pray for the things around you, that you pray from a position of victory and not defeat because of our God. Not because of how loud you pray but because of our God. And so that is what the psalmist is like. There is hope. Even in my depths, there is hope. Here's why. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22, starting there. This is speaking of Jesus. Now, do you remember what, what I said about sin missing the mark, iniquity being, excuse me, transgression being a betrayal, iniquity um, being uh, the distortion of, of truth or the distortion of good? In the ancient mind, it was, it was very clear that if you were a part of iniquity, you bore the weight of that iniquity on your shoulder. That means that there was no mistaking it that when you're going through things like being in the depths, or if you're going through difficult times, you could look back and go, yeah, I'm, I'm bearing the weight of the sin or iniquity that I committed. Are you following me? This is what makes the gospel so remarkable. That what Jesus did for us and Isaiah writes it, and when he writes it to these, to these readers, these Hebrew readers, they're, they're going, whoa. For us, it's amazing because we could say Jesus took the weight of the world and just put it on his shoulders. But for them, they realized Jesus transferred all the weight that they brought upon themselves through their iniquity. He transferred it to his shoulders. And he transferred it to the point where it broke him. It broke him. It crushed him. But as we sang in that song, it didn't crush him forever that he rose from the grave and he rose victorious. And so you get some of that as you're reading 1 Peter chapter 2. It says of Jesus that he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24 says, he himself bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the great shepherd, the overseer of your souls. I loved that. I loved reading the simplicity of the gospel of what he's done. I loved it because I knew that we were heading into communion. I knew that we were about to, to break the bread and drink of the cup. And, and when you break the bread of communion, when you drink the cup, you're doing what, what Jesus himself had given us as a, a full sensory experience of his life, death, and resurrection. That he gave us this symbolism of bread. And he said, hey, you guys are going to be eating this all the time. He didn't say it this way, but the reality is they're going to be eating it all the time. It's going to be a very normal part of their day. And as they're having a meal, he takes this bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body that was broken for you. Like I did this for you. And this is my cup. This is the covenant of this new, this new covenant of grace. It's my blood that was shed for you for the, the covering, for the remission of your sins. 
And we've talked about this at length, that this should never be, this should be as often as we want, right? That the Bible says you can, as often as you want, you can do this. But when you do it, you do it in remembrance of Him. It doesn't mean that you have to wait for a communion Sunday at church, that couples, husbands and wives, break bread together, friends, break bread together. That in your homes, when you have people over, receive communion together. This is as often as you want to do it. You just don't do it in an unworthy manner. And so the, the presentation of all this, right, the, the reality of, of what we do to ourselves, the psalmist is showing us that when we sin, we end up in the depths because it doesn't produce good things in our lives. But we don't stay in the depths because we have a voice. Our voice cries out to God. God hears it. And God hears it, and out of his mercy, he forgives us. And out of forgiveness comes freedom and life. Now, I don't know what my words are doing for any one of you right now, And it doesn't really matter to me personally except for this one thing. That the words I just shared are gospel truth. This is truth. This is not something I prepared for and and read and go, okay, I want to practice this and get it right. This is a, a holy moment to be able to describe what Jesus has done for us. It's not just one option. It's the option. That might sound arrogant. But when Jesus makes a, 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 a statement or a claim that he is, and we sang it, when he makes a claim that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, that he makes a once and for all exclusive claim. And that we as his people have the opportunity to, on his behalf, share that and remind people of that and bring this good news. And so this is an important claim. And the, the, the importance of this is I, I thought through, okay, God, what, what do you want for your people on Sunday as they break bread and communion? For, for those of you that follow Jesus, he wants you to know the same thing that that priest said was important. That as you're convicted of sin, that you are forgiven. He wants you to know that. And that his forgiveness is complete. And that, that you need it. You need his forgiveness. I believe that the Lord wants you to know that if, if you remove the idea of sin from your life, you'll, you'll remove the wondrous gift of forgiveness from your life as well. So don't be afraid of going into those areas of your life. You know, I got to tell you, as I was studying this, some things came up in my life, for real. And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? And I wanted to pay attention to it. Everything in me wanted to just go, that doesn't matter. That was so long ago. To explain it away, to justify it. But I didn't. And I'm not saying this as a brag to you. I'm saying this as I test this stuff before I give it to you. And as you test it, as you just say, okay, God, here it is. And you give it to him and you receive the forgiveness that he has. You're not in the depths anymore. Now you're in freedom. And so if you follow Jesus, you don't need to live in the depths. You can live in freedom. If you don't follow Jesus and and, and here you are kind of questioning, I wonder what that church is all about. Or I I wonder, that was weird. Oh, that was cool. You know, and maybe you're... you're, um, I don't know, your emotions are firing a little bit. You know, some of, the, some of the things, songs are singing, you're getting the feels a little going, oh, why did I get goosebumps? Or certain things are resounding as you hear these things. Um, pay attention to that because that's not our musicians being really, really good, although they are, or my words being anything other than the power of the Holy Spirit speaking into your life. And what communion represents is the gospel. Communion represents that Jesus came to this earth as a man. He was born of the Virgin Mary, right? Wow, right? Born, he lived, he was without sin, he was falsely accused, he was genuinely murdered, 
and he rose again. And all of these things he did in order to pay the price for the sin that we've committed in our lives as a humanity and as individuals. And the word for for you, if you're searching, is the freedom that you're looking for is found in him. And and although it might sound arrogant to say he's the only way, it is the only way you will experience true freedom. There are other things that you can add to your life. Even the Bible says, hey, you want to feel good and health? Work out, you know? It's going, to make, it's going to give you a result. But physical training will give you some, but how much more spiritual training will free you? So you don't have to have one for the other. Does that make sense? This is the core thing, I think, that maybe the reason that you're here today is to hear this message, that if you get this core thing right, the confession of sin, the inviting Jesus to come be Lord of your life. There's a whole other portion of the psalm that I'm clearly running out of time for. It repeats the name Lord eight times. And I would just encourage you, jump in and study that a little bit. But as you make him the Lord of your life, giving him the responsibility, giving him the lordship, you're the boss of my life, confessing your sin, allowing him to forgive you, he will do it. And he'll make you, your life brand new. So that's what communion represents. As you, I want to invite our worship team to come back, and they're going to lead you in a song. And as they, they lead you in this song, um, uh, two things. One, uh, again, Bible says don't, don't receive communion in an unworthy manner. That means to, like, let's search our hearts. If there's things that we need to get free of because we're in the depths, let's get free of them. But if this is your um, time and you're going, uh, do I do this or not do this? Maybe traditions that you've been in. Uh, for example, if you've been in like Catholic church or Lutheran church, I would say, okay, if you've, not, if you've not been baptized or you've not been a part of this, then don't receive. I want to tell you what, what I believe about this. I believe that if you are confessing Christ in this moment and you're saying, you know what, what you said makes true, it sounds true and I want to receive forgiveness for my sin, then you're proclaiming the, this to be true. So you're welcome to do it. This could be literally your first communion. This is yours today. If, if that is not true of you, it's wise on your behalf to not receive for this one reason. Because you're doing something spiritual. You're saying, I believe this. And I physically take it in. So the choice is yours. But the reality of Scripture says, hey, if you don't do it and really mean it, and if it's not true to you, be really careful because you're bringing something that you shouldn't bring upon yourself. But if you mean it, there's freedom and there's life for you. Does that make sense? So here's the opportunity before you. Let's stand before the Lord. We're going to dim our lights a little bit and just begin to get back in that place of worship to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to us, but to remember the most hopeful word in Scripture, in human language, one of the most, is forgiveness. And it's available for you today. If you'd like, stand with me. If you like to stay seated, that's fine too. But let's just go to the Lord and let's listen to his heart.
like to invite you to come outside of your pews where you're sitting and there's four tables throughout. Just come and if you're ready and you want to, take the, the symbol, the elements of communion. Just take them in your hand. There'll be someone there to help you if you need help. But otherwise, just serve yourself. If you want to be in the front or in the back, pick a place. And once you have that in your hands, just hang on to it. We're going to receive together this morning. So please feel free. to a place where you can just get quiet before the Lord and know that there are people around you. Feel again, feel free. You can stay up here in the front or stay in the back or go back to your seat, whatever you'd like. given that it comes through Jesus, which I've already shared with you, the fact that he put all of that on himself for you. He took what you did and the consequences that come with it, and he died on your behalf. And then he rose from the dead so that you can also have resurrection power, that he's making something new in you. And, and when the Bible says that there's forgiveness of sin, there's also the reality that it isn't something that's brought back up. So it's forgiven. And then on God's account, it's as if it never happened because it says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed that transgression from you to be remembered no more. That's very important because some of us get stuck in guilt and shame for a lifetime and God never intended for that. He made the solution for it. If you're stuck in guilt and shame, he wants to free you. You don't have to live in those depths. That's the hopeful part of this message. If you've never said yes to Jesus, it's not a complicated thing. It's a, it's a very important step to make in your life. And it has very real implications that can be difficult for you to change. But there's the help of the Holy Spirit. But the understanding of it's not complicated. What the Bible says is that if we, if we, we confess him with our mouth and we believe him, Jesus invites us, says, come and follow me. Is that it? Yes, it's belief in Jesus. It's a confession of him as Lord and Savior. It's realizing that you need him in your life. 
And that can come by way of a very simple prayer that just invites Jesus into your life, knowing that you're stuck in the depths and you don't want to live there anymore. Invite Jesus in. In fact, I'm just going to leave a moment quiet now. If that's you and that makes sense to you, my words, just tell him, God, I want, I want what this guy's talking about. I want to follow you. I know I'm a sinner. I want you to forgive me of my sins. I want you to become the one in charge of my life. For those of us that follow him, no more hiding. You don't need to hide. You don't need to hide in the depths. You don't need to hide alone. But he's made the way for you for forgiveness and freedom from guilt and from shame. And when he said it was finished, it was finished. In fact, these are the words. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds were healed. Because all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, as we remember what you did when we hold this wafer in our hand, your body was broken. You were crushed because of our iniquity. We remember and we say thank you and we receive the forgiveness that we have because of you. Let's break it in. As we hold the cup, the cup is the covenant of his grace, this new covenant. We don't have to beg him, but we're welcomed into relationship with the living God. Where he is our father and we're his children. God, we come to you as your children and say thank you for the blood. Thank you that it was shed for us on the cross, that according to the way you design things without the shedding of it, There could be no forgiveness of sin. <clears throat> Thank you that you've forgiven us. We love you, Jesus, and we remember. Let's drink together. Can we just sing this song one last time? Just sing it over you as you realize what he's done for your life. And let's just receive his forgiveness. Just let it be hope to you according to God's word this morning.
depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman in the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Lord, thank you for the promise of your word. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done, that you've paid it all. And we honor you together. We thank you that we can stand clean before you as forgiven. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you.